rolling. Chester, you're not in this podcast. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Filmcraft. I am Latif. <laughs> I was staring at Latif as you said that. You went oddly robotic. <laughs> that actually wasn't me. I have like a button on my phone. Oh yeah? And when I press it, it like shocks my brain. <laughs> that could be the best app ever. <laughs> in a specific part of my brain that makes me go, Hello, welcome to Filmcraft. I am Latif. Exactly, so I never get it wrong. But every now and then when I'm on the, on the bus or something, you just like, get shocked. I'll, I'll hit it, and then I don't know, I'll be like, hello, welcome to Filmcraft. And everyone on the bus will be like, what the fuck was that? They all move one seat away. Yeah. And then I go, I am Latif. <laughs> and they're like, holy shit. Sky robot or alien? <laughs> Sweet app, but uh, other than the podcast, it's useless to me. Yeah, yeah, one trick pony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so... I had actually forgotten, but we finished all of the Party Stories podcasts right yeah. up to the screening. I mean, marketing and all that is still TBD, but as far as physical production and finishing up, it's done. Yeah, we went through every every stage of the filmmaking process for Party Stories, yeah. so we're done. Yeah, which is uh, pretty crazy. So, one thing I proposed to Latif was we should have an episode of, if we did this again, what would you do differently? And... I find it very strange because I try not to live my life that way, to second guess anything like, oh, if I could just go back and change that one thing, I think it's a pretty useless practice. Yeah. Just because you fucking can't. What's done is done. Yeah. But I think for the listeners, it could be a good lesson as to something they could apply to their own feature. Mm-hmm. So having said that, do you want to start? you want me to start? What do you think? Um, well, even in that... Uh, initially when you asked me it was would you change anything in the film if you could mm-hmm. and I thought it'd be more interesting to go and talk about if you could change anything in your process would what would you do differently and that gives some insight into into the approach yeah because the final thing is always going to be the final thing but I think the approach even in your next project will always change so we can spread some uh, light onto that aspect of the filmmaking process okay well, as per usual, we haven't pre-planned this in any way other than topic. No, we were about to record an episode about something completely different, and you're like, oh yeah! <laughs> and then it just, the cat pressed record, and that app on my phone went off, and then we just started. <laughs> yeah. I just picture one day Ninja Brian, my cat, has your phone, and he's just like pushing that app over and over again. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like in your washroom... Taking, hello, taking welcome to, hello, welcome to, hello, welcome to Filmcraft. Just peeing all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. All right, so, yeah, we haven't really planned this out, but I'll let you go first. Sure. Name something. I guess in the planning process, if I was able to sit down and do, like, a very detailed shot list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing we did not have. Yeah, because we are moving pretty quickly. A part of me was kind of like... I'll plan enough, but not over plan. Yeah. Because I kind of like the freedom of, of discovering. Yeah, of being yeah. in this in the place, and then figuring out what what to do once you're in that mode. Because if if you if you have an idea of, of where light should come from and all that kind of stuff, you'll you'll do a better job of uh, thinking on the spot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there were some moments where it was like very last minute. It's like, oh, we got to shoot this thing. 
and I just set the camera up and shot the scene. Yeah. Or shot the moment. But unfortunately, it wasn't the best uh, scenario where I could just be like, oh, give me like seven, 17 minutes and I'll figure it out. Yeah. Where I just have to like turn around and make it happen. Yeah. Um, so if, if there was time to plan like every little nuance about the process, it would be nice to sit down and do that. But um, that being said, I'm still pretty happy with the results. Oh yeah, totally. And I think that's one of the things that just boils down to experience, you know, like yeah. we are setting up to do our next movie right now and I'm just starting to do shot lists. Whereas the first movie I was like, you know, it would have been great to have it, but I largely let it fall by the wayside, which, you know, in all fairness, it was pretty big time constraints. We moved really fast. Yeah. But with the new experience that I have now, knowing that, like, I can walk in and I know how to direct the scene, I know where the camera's going to go, whereas Party Stories, it was like, let's go in and I think I have an idea, but I'm not really sure since I'd never directed before, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't have the experience to really know that and now I do so that's something that you know going to this next one is definitely going down and like I can already see how it's helping too mm -hmm. and on that same note like don't take this if you're listening as a you need a shot list there's some people that just don't do it and if you don't need it then well I don't shot list when I direct yeah well there you go but I like to shot list when I shoot something mm -hmm. so yeah and I think it like even if you are doing shot lists it's really important to do what Latif said there and be open to discovering on the set don't go in and say I have eight shots we're getting these shots and then we're getting the hell out of here like if you go in and you see a cool angle that would really great or if your cinematographer does like those are the gold moments that's it. you go with that don't fight it right I mean there's different schools of thinking when it comes to it mm -hmm. and the reason I maneuver the way I do is not based on what like I heard from another filmmaker it's just based on like when I'm doing it and how it feels to me yeah because I've in film school we had to make a shot list for an assignment okay and for some people it was useful, but for some people it was useless. Okay. And you were the one of the useless ones? No, like it was useful uh, for certain shots. Okay. But for other ones I just didn't need it because mm -hmm. I, I, I knew what it was going to look like. Yeah. So taking the time to sit down and draw a little image and mm -hmm. all that stuff just didn't really do anything for me. Yeah. So like what I like to do is, you know, when I'm writing, for example, I'll see a key frame in my image, mm -hmm. sorry, in my, in my story. And I'll, I'll have that keyframe stuck in my head, and that will become one of those things that I would, like, shot list. Like, I need mm -hmm. to get it like this. Yeah. But for th some things, it's like, wow, I went into, like, a lisp there. For, for, <laughs> some, things, for some things, um, I wouldn't shot list because I just kind of know, like, close up on door handle. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty fair. Yeah, so uh, planning that in, in a more... Uh, specific way I think even going into our next movie me and you can have the conversation of what shots do you have in your head that really like resonate with you yeah. let's like sit down and draw those mm -hmm. even so yeah totally yeah. how about okay. you anything um, else this will be a bit of cheating going back to the writing phase for me but one of part of the whole point of party stories was to try to have a movie that didn't have any plot a didn't add to B to equal C, and then C didn't add to D to equal finale, or whatever. Like, it was very... We mentioned Richard Linklater a lot on the show. It was very much his approach to filmmaking of, you know, plot is just construct of a bunch of moments that stand out, added up into 
something that we construe as plot. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, plot where A plus B equals C plus C equals finale doesn't really exist, and it's a construct in our own mind to help us tell a story better. Right. And going into party stories, it very much was like a, well, fuck plot, let's just do, here's a cool moment, there's a cool moment, there's a real moment, you know, and yeah. just let them play out as is. And I think we we largely captured that on film. Yeah. Having said that, if I could go back, I probably would add a little slice of plot every here and there. Like, some characters I think it worked really, really well without, but other characters it'd be like, ah, oh, maybe I should have given them even like a tiny little arc. <laughs> um, yeah. But having said that, like, just one of the things you get from trying stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I don't hate the no plot format. I think it has a lot of legitimacy, and I would like to do it again in a movie. Right. Um, but for your first movie, yeah, I'd say plot's probably your friend. It, it can be a, a pretty good way to streamline your story and... The thought of saying, we're going to have a script with no plot sounds really easy, Yeah. but it's way harder when you put it into practice. Yeah. Like, if you can write a really good story that doesn't have any plot, the Richard Linklater style props to you because it's fucking hard. Yeah. Plot's easy. <laughs> Plot's super easy. You know, guy shoots man, runs from law, gets caught, goes to jail. Exactly. There's a whole plot. But it's the nuances of how it happens. Yeah. And and who's doing it and why you should care about those people. Yeah, exactly. And for if someone was to ask me, I'm doing my first feature, I'm torn between plot or no plot, I'd say go with plot. Having said that, you know, all your plot has to come from character choices and moments. You can't have, you know, um, a priest just go and commit genocide for no reason because priests are inherently, you know don't commit crime, you know, it has to come from something the character would internally do and there is the intricacy of plot that you just yeah. said, right? But overall, yeah, it's a first feature, plot's your friend, yeah. and at very least it's going to help you, give you a very good map. So, yeah, plot it up. Plot it up, fellas. <laughs> um, and ladies. Yes. Actually, you know what, fellas, don't plot it up. Yeah? You've been plotting way too much. I think. Why is that? I don't know. I'm just saying stuff. <laughs> That's the app. <laughs> Apple Jacks. Um, well, uh, that was an interesting little thing, you experiment you did. I mm. think which might be... I might try that and see if it bears any fruits. But was it man shoots... Like what man kills... What was this little... Man plot? kills some guy... Goes on run from law, gets caught, goes jail. Okay, so like if you take that and mm -hmm. then you start inputting things into it, yeah. It's like single mo single mother shoots, only son. <laughs> goes to jail, but not any jail, uh, minimum security prison. Okay, for murder. Why? Exactly. It's like, why? <laughs> and then because she's blowing the judge. And then what happens at the end? I don't know. It's your story. You tell me. Son comes back. Oh! Right? <laughs> that's Sing plot! Exactly. Well, yeah, but that's how you make it more interesting. Single mother, shoots only son, goes to the minimum security prison. Why would she go there? There's something there. But then son comes back at the end to redeem his mm. own death that never happened. It's like a bad M.X. Shyamalan movie, man. Someone write this. <laughs> we'll pay you nothing and you can keep it. <laughs> plot it up, fellas. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else that you would... 
do differently. If, adjust? Yeah, yeah, adjust. Yeah, I'd love, if I could, I'd love to put out more feelers for some support crew. Yeah. Because it was, I could, like, I I was able to manage and handle all the work, but it, it would have been really sweet to have, like, some some kid out of film school who just really wanted to work on a feature to yeah. help me set up lights and stuff like that. Um, cause I could, at, at that point I'm getting very, cause when you're shooting it, but you're also doing all the lighting, you become very focused on all the micro things, like the angle of the light, how high it goes, mm -hmm. making sure all the equipment's set up safely. And all, all those little uh, things add up and take time. And, um, I think just minutes could be saved over several, uh, scenes that add up some valuable time there so just having because uh, in the next location it, like sorry the next film will definitely need a bit of support mm -hmm. because when, when we're shooting in different locations every time we move it's something we have to set up from yeah, scratch it moves fast so um, yeah just getting a little because like you have to know how much you can handle yeah and I think it was just where it should be at party stories mm -hmm. but it's always nice to have a little more help than you need yeah rather than not having enough when you need it Yep. Single mother shoots only son. <laughs> I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. Um, yeah, is there anything else that you would, you know, knowing what we know through the experience of shooting a feature, you would recommend people do differently than the way we did it? Well, it, it's, it would be also, it'd also be interesting because um, we did the whole thing in one location practically. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that would be a good recommendation for a first-time feature. Oh, yeah. First location feature is the way to go. Uh, but as well, uh, a different tactic that would be beneficial is to cut down on cast members. Yeah. Because we had a lot of them. It was ambitious doing the ensemble cast. Yeah, yeah. For, sure. for, for our first film, we had like nine, ten characters, right? Main characters, too. And then there are uh, some side stuff. So mm. if you're doing a first-time feature... It might be beneficial to see what characters really don't need to be there and, and cutting it down to like maybe three or four characters. Mm -hmm. Obviously for our, for our film it wouldn't work, Yeah. but for, for your film, if, if you feel like you have a lot of uh, actors and, and you're going to wrangle all that by yourself, you might want to think about shortening it and, and getting yeah. rid of some uh, extra bodies. Right down to in the edit, like pacing and cutting and filling in and creating moments for 9, 10, 11 characters is a lot to take on. Yeah. And on that same point, like, it's not just that many characters that are like, oh, look, there's this many characters. Like, you got to make an audience care about every single one of these people. They're just not an easy task. Yeah. And if you only had to make them care about two or four or five, that's much easier, much easier. than, you know, closer to a dozen. Um, it also gives you a lot more time to play with um, what you do to your characters. So, for instance, you know, like Latif said, we had 9, 10, 11 characters. We had a 93-page script, so you divide that evenly and, like, each person's only getting nine pages of screen time, right? Like, Perfect, sure, they'll, yeah. they'll interlap, and, you know, it will be greater than nine, but in terms of the screen time they get and the amount of tension and stuff you can put them through, it, it isn't 
the same as if you do three characters, then each character can have 30 or 40 pages and a lot of development and everything. True. So, yeah, for the ensemble, or for the first feature, maybe avoid the ensemble. I would agree for that one. Yeah. Having said that, like, if you go through it and you can at least somewhat pull it off, man, you're going to learn a lot. Yeah. It's good to have good support crew when you're doing, when you're dealing with more uh, characters, mm-hmm. more actors. Like, have have your AD and the second AD and all that because they do a lot on set with helping wrangle uh, uh, all the bodies so if you're going to do like a a film with 10 people Mm -hmm. and it's it's just you and the camera guy yeah you might have some trouble yeah totally yeah because we we get like we get micro budget and how you're not going to have every position filled and some people will be doing more than one job yep but in, in that case it's good to think about uh, if you have more people in front of the camera than behind the camera, mm-hmm. you might be at odds there. Yep. It might be a little tough to, to do. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's touch on one point of things we would definitely do again. And this is going to kind of run into the next bunch of what we do. But there's cer- there are certain aspects that I was like, fuck, next movie we do, definitely doing that again. For instance, I'll start... The minimalized crew, like we just said, it can be, you know, a bad thing, but I think it's really important to have the exact amount, right amount of a crew compared to a shoot where you have five grips standing around doing nothing. Yeah. Especially when you're working with, you know, nothing. Like, if you're listening to this, you probably are. Um, So even going into our next feature, like, we are, you know, we're getting close. Yeah. And with the crew we're putting together, you know, we know exactly what we need, especially since we did party stories and we already made a feature, right? Yeah. So one thing I would heavily vouch for is having the right amount of crew and not going crazy with it. You know, if you don't need five grips, you don't need three PAs, then don't have them. If there's bodies sitting around and like you might think, but hey, you know, if they're volunteer, who cares? I'm not paying them. But still, that's like eight extra people you have to feed. Yeah. So that's going to cost you money. And when people stand around and they get really, really bored, they start, you know, talking and doing things to entertain themselves. Not that I'm not ribbing on anyone or anything, but, you know, if I was sitting in a room by myself for 12 hours and some other PA got sent over because, you know, there's nothing for them to do, I'd be like, oh, man, I'm super bored. Do you want to talk? And of course, they're going to talk, right? So, and that's just gonna, you know, slow you down a little bit. I've been on sets where that's just the case, like, really, most of the time. Uh, not that that's a good thing, where, you know, I'm supposed to be doing some task, mm-hmm. but then there's just nothing for me to do. Yeah. So I end up just, like, sitting around with some grips and talking shit. Yeah. Chopping it up, talking about filmmaking or what are you up to next. Yeah. And that happens a lot. And obviously for bigger sets, that's just the reality, which mm-hmm. isn't a you know a huge problem yeah because everyone's getting taken care of but if you're making a micro budget film and you have seven extra people just hanging out by the coffee table yeah that's a little much yeah yeah definitely everyone should be kind of focused on something yeah Yeah. totally and to that same point I think it's really good if you can get crew members that are super super enthusiastic for instance I just hired a makeup artist a key makeup for our next movie and uh, one of the things that really stood out to to me about her was she just loves doing this. I met her and she's like, you know, yeah, like I've never been a part of a feature 
done all the shorts, I have all this experience, but I really want to get a feature under my belt. So I'll work cheap. And she's like, honestly, I just love filmmaking. Like, you need me to show up early one day. I can help cook. I can slate. I can do whatever. I just like being a part of the process. That passion and level of energy is going to take you so, so far. Yeah. So try to hire people like that. Yeah. Yeah. The process of, um, the filmmaking process in general, like, I... I think that as a rule of thumb, uh, if you're you know proactive, if you're listening to this, you're probably pretty proactive. Like you yeah. seek uh, outside information to help you grow, but you should really go the extra mile with everyone you work with, mm-hmm. even if they they can't help you in any way possible. Because yeah. I find you know when I work on a film or, or work with a filmmaker and I and I give him an extra hand, like oh I'll I'll do your color correction on your little short film for free. Yeah. Uh, or I'll help you edit this thing or, or make some music for your film or help you make a poster yeah. like people become really appreciative and even if they have nothing to offer you like money or, or if you're more experienced than them they'll always remember that Yeah. and in, in the future that's just how we should be because everyone's like as recently as well everyone's been super like uh, not selfish but not uh appreciative yeah. and grateful of what's yeah, out there like I was working on the, the that TV show and we're looking for a sound guy for half a day yeah yeah and I was like 250 half a day it's like four hours of shooting yeah and I was like sweet someone's gonna take that mm-hmm. I take it yeah and then like three guys were like 250 for half a day you're nuts that's like super awful it's like what if you just got out of film school and you're like dude I'm gonna do anything I can to get money mm-hmm. and I just want some experience that's a sweet gig yeah totally <laughs> yeah so like just get out there and do it and just be grateful for the opportunity really yeah there's an old saying I can never remember where it comes from but uh, I think it's relevant to right now and in this the circumstance and it's if you can't make yourself happy make someone else happy and you'd be amazed the amount of satisfaction you can feel just by helping people whether like that you said hey you know i'll help you out with color correction i'm sure that doesn't take you weeks and weeks and weeks it's you know a couple days yeah a couple days no big deal and when you give it to them they're like oh man thank you so much they're so appreciative of that yeah unless you're a fucking heartless bitch that warms your heart like that's a nice nice feeling <laughs> there's probably a, someone out there who is a heartless bitch and they just puked when this you is said how that. they realized it they puked they're like oh why would you do that <laughs> <laughs> but keep listening <laughs> we like your support <laughs> yeah so um that's one thing i'm definitely taking forward in the next project hiring the right amount of crew with the best mentality i yeah. think that's just huge 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 um, anything else you would say in terms of things you definitely want to replicate on our next project with what we did with party being, stories? Being super responsive and, and cool with all the people you work with. Mm-hmm. Because there's an aspect of, yeah, you're on set and you want you be nice to people because you want them to help you make your film. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you should really just be nice to everyone that works with you because it's just a good a good way to be. Yep. You know, after after we finish the film all of the people that worked in the film like were very well not all of them obviously because people are, are get busy and have other yeah. directions they go in with like the vast majority though but yeah we're majority of the, 
the actors and the crew from Party Stories were very close with still. Yeah, like we had a party two nights ago and what, like 20, 25% of them came to it? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, one of the actors from the first film's wife had a a birthday party. And if he never walked Mm. in and auditioned for your film, we'd never know them. Yep. So it's like, really like get to know the people and... And with every film you make and every everything you do, you're just going to create a huge network of people that really support you. Yeah. And yeah. you get to make friends. So that's good yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Be good. Yeah. Uh, anything else you can think of? of? Just advice? Like, we did this, we feel it was the right thing to do, you should do it too? Um, after your film's done, uh, and, and your actor's like, hey, I need footage for my reel. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, give them like ten minutes and give them that thing. Yeah, even if even if the movie isn't released yet, like you're at this level, if thirty seconds of your movie gets out on an actor's demo reel, who fucking cares? No one cares. (laughs) Everyone's so damn precious about their movie. Yeah, you're not making Star Wars. Get over yourself, damn it. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding, but what I mean is, like your actors, they pour so much into what you do. And all they want is a little snippet of it, just so they could get more work. Yeah. Help them out and just give them something. Yeah, and it's not like you're giving away your entire plot or anything like yeah. that. You're giving away 40 seconds of a scene. Who yeah. cares? And in the micro-budget world, that's a good thing. Yeah. Because more if, people are going to see it. Yeah, if, if your snippet from your film is on an actor's demo reel, and someone sees that moment and says, what movie was that? That was awesome. Mm-hmm. It's just going to work in your favor. Yep. Unless you made a bad movie. <laughs> Different story. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's all the kind of... How about, like, very specifically, directorially, would you change anything in your process? Um, nothing that I would have known at the time. Like, anything that I'm going to do different, differently on a second feature, I'm going to do differently because it was a lesson I learned on the first one. Right. It's so, like shot lists. Uh, I mentioned it in another podcast. Uh, that when you when you go through editing on your first feature, mm-hmm. you learn so much. Like yeah. that's film school in itself, right there. And that applies to so many things, even right down to writing this next film we're doing. My writing has increased like tenfold yeah. since we did party stories, and that's largely due to the editing of party stories. Yeah, once you go through editing, you you really start to understand. Yeah. Like, I really didn't need that much. Mm-hmm. And you start to trim down your writing. I mean, yeah. that's... Right now, even, every time me and Matt sit down to talk about the next film we're working on, mm-hmm. every note is just... Cut that line. Cut that line. Cut yeah, that line. Cut a little that bit line. of trim and fat. Um, yeah. Chris, I read... Uh, I listened to a podcast recently, and there was a bunch of directors on it. I want to say there was, like... There was definitely Christopher McQuarrie. He's doing, like, the Mission Impossible movies, shit yeah. like that. Um, I'm pretty sure there was Nolan and like Linklater, like really high list directors, A list guys, right? And they asked the question, "What would you tell a first time filmmaker?" And Christopher McQuarrie said, "Learn editing, and then you'll know filmmaking." And every single director out there agreed with him. I didn't know why at the time. I do now. You yeah. know editing. You know how to make a movie. Yeah. And um, yeah, right down to writing, like. When I wrote Party Stories, it was just like, oh, it seems like the scene's over, so, you know, it's done. But And I didn't think about transitions. Mm-hmm. Now I'm writing, I'm like, oh, that's a sweet transition. You just know how all the pieces connect. Like, mm-hmm. it's solving a puzzle, basically. Like, yeah. you know how to connect everything, you know how to make it whole. Whereas, 
you know, first time directing, which, you know, it's no fault of your own. You are a first time director. You know, you got to do that first time eventually to learn the things. Yeah. You don't think about a lot of the smaller intricacies that are so vital to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say if you can, I don't know how you would learn editing without doing. Well, edit other people's films. Yeah, there you go. Even or, just try or to sit in with an editor or something. Yeah, or, or make some really, like, super tiny films with your cell phone and just learn how to edit them yeah and you'll and you'll get some value from that yeah like honestly i'd put that like as number one of if someone said me i'm gonna make a movie what's one thing i should know i would probably say editing for sure i I think and then number two is know how to spot a good script versus a bad script because there are a lot of bad ones out there yeah just learning how and it's just it's being self-aware of of, of uh, yourself as a filmmaker. Yeah. To know when you've kind of crossed, like, because every time you feel like you've done done something that might be a little on the nose, mm-hmm. you say it. You're like, that might be on the nose. Yeah. But, but you you realize it. Yeah, I think people get self-conscious about that. Like, yeah. they'll say, "Oh man, like, should I say this? If I wrote something on the nose, then that that's bad, and people might call me out for it." But, like, yeah, in these talks we're having about our next movie, we're on our fifth draft of our script. Yeah. Every time I have an idea or I write something and I'm like, this might be on the nose, I just tell the teeth. I'm like, here's what I'm thinking. Is it on the nose? And he'll be like, yes. I'll be like, okay, then I won't do that thing. <laughs> yeah, and we, and we adjust. Yeah. And this is a weird, t- uh, not a tip, but just a suggestion. Mm-hmm. I think for your first feature, yeah. if you've written it mm-hmm. and, you haven't, and you've maybe gotten a few second opinions, I think you should really go with what your vision is mm-hmm. completely because it's it'll be unfiltered on your first film yeah and but you'll get some real feedback but you have to you have to learn to be open after you make your first feature yeah. make it exactly how you need to make it and how you want to make it mm-hmm. and then people will tell you based on the film you you have like a weird vision or you're not quite there yet mm-hmm. and that's very valuable yeah because uh, if you get too many second opinions on your first film it'll become someone else's kind of uh it'll it'll start to leak into like other people's like way of thinking yeah and you should really let it come from your brain on your first attempt yeah it's just like i card the table i have not seen this movie but i've read quite a bit about it and all the people that have the new justice league movie yeah that was directed by Zack snyder halfway through yeah joss whedon came in and finished it yeah and what a lot of people say is like yeah it's a mess for the reasons of you'll look at one scene it'll be super dark you look at another scene it's all like hot happy and light and jokey and it's just too many cooks in the kitchen and i think you can get that with if you send your script out there and people are saying oh i like this i like this i like this and you try and do every one of those notes then it just becomes a blur and there's no you know streamlined vision you have to be the arrow going through the air yeah and you gotta follow you know what you want to do and and really like for me even as a dp that's one thing that was very important because i was involved in like i I would read the drafts of the first film and Mm. and we'd have little conversations but very much i did take a very big step back and be like i don't Mm want to influence the vision and the story way too much Mm -hmm. because i know what i like but i don't want what i like to be what you like yeah because it will never be the same yeah um so I, I wanted to execute on my half, but very much let it come from where you, you were thinking. Mm-hmm. Having said that, um, I want people to lis- listening to this to know, I only say that in the sense that if you show five different people and they all have five different opinions, yeah. then go with your vision. If you show five people and they all say, 
your first 15 pages are total dog shit, yeah. then look into that because yeah. there's probably something there. It's go with your gut if everyone else around you is saying different things. Mm-hmm. But if everyone around you is saying, this is bad, do not do this, listen to that. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> like you said with the opening of the movie. Yeah. And what did we do? I fucking ignored it. And then we got to editing and we cut it out of the movie. <laughs> Even then, though, I'd say that on your second attempt, yeah. then listen to it. But even okay. on your first attempt, Just I feel like the, even if five people tell you don't do that on your first attempt, mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. And, and yeah, experiment. See what people say. Okay. Uh, but then on your second attempt, that's when you start to like, yeah. Hone. Uh, yeah, you start to hone like when you really know uh, when you're right. You really start to trust your gut and know when it's like speaking to you. Yeah. And honestly, like I said, editing was a big part of that. We have one scene in the middle of Party Stories that unanimously is a standout scene everyone that sees it says that scene is your greatest scene and to this day i wouldn't change a word to be anything about it you know what i'm talking about yeah and when you make a movie and you have these scenes that just work on every level and you have some scenes that you know mostly work but don't and then other scenes where you're like eh, maybe i could have done that better draw from the experience of that scene that yeah. just fucking killed it yeah and right down to your writing like you'll that's where you hone you yeah because that piece of that scene that did work really well it's still you Mm. but it was the best version of you coming out in that scene so you'll learn like okay i see why this scene works i see how it flows how i hit these beats the things the characters say happen at the right time and then that you can almost universally put that into any framework of a scene and make every scene as good as that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's that's pretty much like all the big concepts that might need to be addressed. But mm-hmm. if there's like a little thing that I that I'm for sure on the next one I'm gonna do, mm-hmm. it would be great for the last one. It would be. I wish I had more clothespins. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. C 47s If you're in the film industry and you, and you <laughs> why are they called that? I think the story, the reason why, the little clothespins, uh, people use on set. And this isn't a slang term, by the way. They're actual clothespins. Yeah, they're called C 47s on film sets, are because a producer. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. Uh, well, not you. I was talking to the audience. Talking to you, Bill. Um, <clears throat> if I'm wrong, uh, but this is a story I know. A producer ordered a bunch of clothespins mm-hmm. for production, and then some money guy was like, "Why'd you order so many clothespins? Get rid of them." But they needed them, so he changed the name to C47s because it sounds more important. So it's like yeah, seven cases of C47s. We need them. All right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a way to get production managers off your back. I'm kind of changing, changing the uh, story. I don't know. I heard this in <laughs> film school, but we'll look it up. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I think that's uh, pretty well the end of what we got for this episode here. If you can think of any questions, you know, hey, why did you say this? We didn't elaborate enough on something, or you said you did this in production. Would you recommend or not recommend that? Hit us with them, and we'll answer them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, oh. I have Twitter now. We should yeah. uh, 
we should sorry I totally forgot we should also mention the sponsors Sponsor. yeah. okay well you want to follow we've got Filmcraft Podcast on Twitter I'm at Matt Ralston Film what are you on Twitter uh, you can follow me at Latif I don't even know my Twitter handle well it's Latif and just either just link jump from me or the podcast and you'll find it yeah but I'm definitely on Instagram you can find me at Latif underscore 8 that's kind of where I live more because I'm a, I like to take pictures Sweet. And then on Facebook, uh, we'll all be under Filmcraft. Yep, and, and then there's our production company, A Night Between Lives. Yeah. You can find us there with all the cool new stuff we're doing. And yeah, this episode is brought to you by Pippa, pippa.io. It's yep. a podcast hosting service. Still don't know how much it costs. I think it's like 9 or 12 bucks a month. I'm going to look that up after this, but yeah. they're awesome. Um, you can un- upload unlimited episodes. They have a sniper tool where you can go in through the transcripts, which are which are also free. Yep. Uh, and you can take a little five to second clip, make it into like a audio gif, and then throw it out to the world. Yeah, it's pippa.io. They're awesome. Check them out. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks for listening to Filmcraft. Bye-bye.